Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Killer Serials. This is Tony Jones. Hey, this is Ryan Parker. And here we go, Ryan. Uh, uh, season <laughs> season four, we're coming down the home stretch of Rectify. Hey, it's I can't believe we're on the final season. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is like the most committed I've been to anything since my marriage. I think <laughs> this show, watching this show every week. I, I've been dating this show longer than <laughs> I ever had girlfriends when I was in college and high school. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty significant commitment we've made here. I didn't know at the beginning. But you know what? I really look forward to my, uh, just so people know, I, you know, we record usually on Mondays, sometimes Tuesdays if we have guests or if one of us is out of town or something on the weekend. But um, I really look forward to my Sunday nights sitting down alone and, and watching the show because, you know, so many characters, so many characters have, have, as we've talked about over the weeks here, have just kind of burrowed their way inside my heart. And I guess my first reaction to this episode 401 is, where did everybody go? <laughs> like, they're all gone. Very good. We only see, very good. all we see yeah. is Dan. He's now Dan, not Daniel. Yeah. And we hear Janet's voice on a voicemail, but that's the closest we get, man. Paulie seems like a million miles away. It's such a bold move on, on the part of Ray McKinnon, who, you know, wrote... Yeah these i believe the first three or four episodes of this season and if there's any doubt whose whose story this is it's who the story of rectify is about i mean i think it's it's clearly daniel it's kind of planting its flag here look it, yeah. you, we don't watch ahead but you get on netflix and you look at the upcoming episodes and you see you know screenshots of the of the family so I mean, we know we'll see more of them, but yeah, this is, this is all about Daniel and, and Tony Daniel's not doing good, man. You know what? Not, he's, he's struggling. There is a, something is simmering. Now, listen, there's some resolution. We can talk about this as the episode goes, but when we see Daniel to start, he is hmm, lost, um, angry. (laughs) Unmoored, I mean, if there's, if, if, yeah, if there's anything, if we thought that like Daniel moving into a halfway house in Nashville and moving away from Paulie and away from his family and away from all these memories would somehow crack open his shell, it seems not to have done that. And, Why did we ever you think know, that would work? Let's wait. To, <laughs> yeah, Why let's wait to, to get work? to the end of the episode where there where where there's some real you know we find out things about daniel that we have never known but for the first 30 minutes of the you know 44 minute episode i just grew increasingly frustrated with daniel's i guess in a, you know he's just every time someone asks him a question it's a monosyllabic answer it's like whether he's um whether he's working in the warehouse or he's at the group meeting in the halfway house or he wanders into the the artist's studio, people ask him questions. They want to, you know, get to know him a little bit or know what's up with him or whatever. And he just answers with grunts, basically. He he just gives the he gives the most minimal um kind of response that he can give. And 
just think, man, now I will, I just want to say it's, it's hard to even talk about that because anybody who's listening to this and has watched the episode knows that that shell really cracks open in, in an incredibly profound way through a conversation he has toward the end of the episode. But, but early in the episode, I mean, I think let, let's just, take a 30,000 foot view and ask what is Ray McKinnon trying to establish for the fourth and final season of Rectify in starting out with Daniel basically severed from all these characters who filled his life with so much meaning in the first three seasons. I think it's a subtle commentary on the injustice of his banishment and of the whole parole system that he has to adhere to. Yeah. Because like you said, he's been cut off again from any support, anybody who loves him and knows him. And, you know, we haven't really talked about this. You remember in the first season, in the early days of recording, uh, talking about this series, you know, I talked about one of the things that was interesting to me was the idea of the uh, uh, injustice of the prison system, right? And in America Mm -hmm. and the way, and we really haven't talked about that. A lot. I think it came back to me in this episode because we can come back to that later. I want to stay in that first half of this of this episode where Daniel is completely the system is ill-equipped to treat, care for, rehabilitate Daniel. Yeah. You see he's in this halfway house. He's at the meetings at the office or whatever, and they have all these little uh, one-liners posted all over the wall yep. of these encouragements and they don't mean anything. They're just platitudes. And Daniel is suffering from what's happened to him. And I know we'll talk about this in detail in a minute, but that conversation that he has with Avery, he summarizes where he is in a way that he hasn't been able to do thus far because he hasn't encountered somebody like Avery who can a call him on his bullshit. Unlike his family uh, and B knows a little bit about what, he's been through unlike his family. So mm-hmm. just by virtue of the work that he's done, it's not clear if Avery is uh, an ex con, but he certainly can relate and interact with these men at the halfway house in ways that, that other people haven't been able to interact with Daniel. So yeah, I think uh, to, to situate him here alone in Nashville, these, like you're saying, monosyllabic answers to, questions it's all he can do because Mm -hmm, he mm -hmm. is still a victim of this insane injustice against him i don't know if you had a different read on kind of the first half but that's just where my mind went to yeah i think that's right and uh, you know he's it's clear that he's been at the halfway house for a while because we find out as the you know first half of the episode unrolls that he he has a job at a warehouse and it's very, you know, mundane, mindless work. And we find out that this was not his first job interview, but, you know, he went out on many job interviews before he got this. And then not long into the episode, uh, an injustice, you know, first of all, his boss, his supervisor there at the warehouse, who's playing solitaire on his phone and obviously also, do, you know, is in a mindless job that he doesn't like, kind of shows Daniel a little grace, like, hey, man, cut out early for the day. I'll punch you out. And Daniel doesn't quite 
know how to take that or accept that. And then, you know, fast forward a few minutes and that same guy is basically telling Daniel, you screwed up an order for our biggest client, which of course we're led to believe he didn't because Daniel is, if nothing else, Daniel is very thorough. Uh, and he probably didn't screw up the order, but he's going to take the fall for it regardless. And again, it's just this another little injustice that's thrown on top of Daniel. And he's so powerless. So so right. I'm with you. I agree. It's another kind of prison that he's in. You know, Even though we find out from Avery, who runs this halfway house and is the counselor to these guys, hey, you can walk out anytime you want. I mean, you're going to have to go into another halfway house. But I'm like, I'm not the man. I'm not your, I'm not the prison guard here. Um, but yeah, things are kind yeah. of what what we find out is a couple things. One, he's in this mindless job. Two, he's in a halfway house with guys to whom he is not sharing anything of his life. And three, he wanders into an artist studio in in a neighboring warehouse and is, you know, basically is brought to tears by the beauty of the art. But when a woman there, Chloe, tries to show him kindness. Once again, he can't even tell her his name. That's how closed off he is and how, how, I mean, the guy is just like a turtle inside his shell and the shell seems impenetrable until, and this is, you know, I want to put the ball on the tee here for you. This guy, Avery, played by Scott Lawrence, whom I think you and I agree, just really is a tremendous actor actually he's also in the walking dead which you know is the show that bumped rectify off of amc what avery is able to do in the conversation that i think you and i really want to talk about he's able to do something that no one in daniel's family has ever been able to do that john stern was never able to do that charlie chaplin in the prison the prison chaplain was never able to do. Nobody has been able to get Daniel to basically tell the truth until this guy, Avery, sitting, as you've already mentioned, in what I thought was a fascinating designed set of, of a room that is just, it's, it, it's, 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 it's overwhelmed with whiteboards, with little phrases and, posters of like you can do it and you know i just was waiting to see the poster with the cat hanging from the tree (laughs) you know just hang in there hang in there yeah i mean all meant in total earnestness but the very kind of thing that we know drives daniel absolutely crazy and he thinks is total bullshit but man this guy avery he cuts he just cuts through the crap so maybe we can play a little bit of that conversation yeah, between yeah, Avery between Avery and Daniel and then I'd love to hear how that scene hit you that's the problem I'm not sure I can be out there either in the world that sounds like hell those other guys in the house Nate and Pickle Tires when they were in prison they were usually around a lot of other guys right interacting Sounds like prison. I was alone. 
interacting with myself. I'm aware of that. Or the voices inside the grate. Voices? The other inmates on the row. We would communicate with each other through the grates. I see. Sometimes with friends, sometimes with not friends at all. But no matter who it was, I would never get to see them or feel them, their, their, their presence. And that's not the same. No. No, it's not. And I did that. I lived like that for 20 years. That's a long time. It's a strange way to exist. It's inhuman. What is it, Dan? If not now, when? After my friend was executed, I became despondent. More despondent. I guess depressed, enraged. But more than anything, I was lonely. So deeply lonely. He had protected me from that more than I realized. A bit. When you were alone with yourself all the time, with no one but yourself, you begin to go deeper and and deeper into yourself until you lose yourself. It's a perverse contradiction. It's like your ego begins to disintegrate until you have no ego. Not in the sense that you you become humble or, or, or gain some kind of perspective, but that you literally lose your sense of self. And I'm not sure anyone, unless they have gone through it, can, can, can truly understand how profound that loss is. It's like the psychic glue that binds your whole notion of existence. is gone. You become unglued. I think, therefore I am. I think too much, therefore I am not. I am not, therefore I am nothing, I am nothing, therefore I am dead. And if I am dead, then why am I still so goddamn lonely? It's good that you're talking about this, Dan. All right, Tony, I think this, I think this section here that we've pulled from the conversation between Daniel and Avery is so loaded with obviously spiritual theological implications. I know you're excited to, to unpack, but I, I, I was just marveling at a, the writing again, B the courage that, you know, the, the director has to engage these two actors in this way for this length of time to essentially let this, conversation about Mm -hmm. identity and ego go on for so long to take 
I think, therefore I am, and to spin it out into these ways that are deeply spiritual, but also, again, showing the destructive nature of self-isolation, of uh, imposed isolation, um, Mm -hmm. how that breaks someone and the way that Daniel can finally articulate that to someone who, like you said, is, is cuts through the crap. He does say some cliche things. He admits that they're cliches, but they're cliches because they're true. Mm-hmm. And we can come back to one of those, I think his idea about making a choice in your life. But what, what did you make of uh, this conversation? I, to me, it just feels like so ripe for reflection. Again, why this, I think why we're talking about the series in the first place for communities of faith, people who are interested at the intersections of all these things. Yeah. You know, I mean, you and I are both seminary graduates uh, with pastoral experience. I think when I see a scene like this, I immediately, uh, I'm sympathetic to Avery, you know, the person who's in like the therapist, social worker, pastor kind of role, because we've, uh, I've been in those, I've been in those rooms before. And I, I've, I've both been the, in that therapist, pastor, counselor seat, but I've also watched, you know, I, of course, have been in the other seat as well myself, but I, I've, I've watched therapists and social workers as brilliant as Avery. It, brilliant, brilliant in their minimalist response, which I'd say, like, that's not what I have ever been good at as a pastor. But he's so, um, just the, you mean, the you whole... Mean you like to talk? You like to... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I remember once, I remember once talking to my senior pastor when I was a a youth pastor and he said, he's like, I'm a terrible pastoral counselor because I just want to grab people by the shirt and shake them and say, then just stop doing it. Like somebody comes in and they confess to like, you know, repeating bad behavior over and over. And this guy was like a very disciplined guy, like never ate dessert except on Christmas day. And like, you know, was just super disciplined, translated the Bible from the Greek every morning in his office and this kind of thing. And, And so he really had no patience for people who were less disciplined and, and struggled with addictive behavior or, or things like that. And, and I, I did resonate with what he was saying a little bit. And you look at somebody like Avery and you think about this scene and I just think like, so Daniel comes into the room, just think of the, just think of the uh, directorial decisions that Ray McKinnon made. Daniel walks into the room and starts talking. Avery slowly kind of slides over to the door and pulls the door closed. So they're going to have some privacy. So nobody else is going to walk in on them. Daniel keeps talking. Avery walks over and slowly sits down behind it, sits down in a chair behind a table. He doesn't tell Daniel to sit down, but it's an invitation for Daniel to sit down, which moves Daniel closer to Avery. And yet there's still a table between them. So Daniel probably feels not totally so vulnerable as if he were at their housemates group meeting, you know, or something like that. And Avery's questions to Daniel, you're right. He says, this is going to sound cliche, but here it goes, you know, and, and just like, that's good. That's good that you're talking about this. It, it, his whole demeanor is inviting and, and the and the things he says are so minimalist that it allows Daniel to start to unravel 
the whatever's inside his soul that is wound so tightly. And we finally, Ryan, we finally find out some things. Like we hear for the first, this is insane too. This is talking about the slow burn of Ray McKinnon. Here it is, season four, you know, like episode, what, 32 in the series, or sorry, 22 in the series. And we're, and finally Daniel says out loud, I don't remember if I killed Hannah or not. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a stunning revelation. I think so. We've had hints at it. We've had um, yeah. implications that maybe he doesn't remember, but he, it, it is crystal clear. And and he is not lying. He does not remember, and that is driving him crazy. But I, right. you know, Avery right. made Avery, Avery made me think about Rebecca, the marriage therapist, in season three. I mean, they just know how to ask the right questions. That's right. That allows. It makes like, me. It makes me think Ray McKinnon has been in therapy and had some damn good therapists, probably. <laughs> and yeah, and also how it allows the person to do the work on themselves. Right. Where, yeah, like you said, allows Daniel to unravel, but he maybe unravels the right word. Maybe he's loosening all of these chains because, you know, Avery's suggestion suggestion to him is to lean into make the choice to believe that you didn't do it. Yeah. Because if you don't know, then that's equally true. It made me think of what is, is it Schrodinger's cat? Like if you open the box what is it? The cat's either alive or dead, whatever, you know, it made, it made me think about that where it's the choice that Daniel has to make. Does he, does he kind of open that box or not? And because Avery said, well, you've already made the choice. You made the choice to believe that you did it for 20 years Mm -hmm. and more. You're believe you're making the choice to believe that you did it even now. And who's to say that that is the right answer. And also what Daniel says, I don't know. And Avery says, you may never know. Like basically, Daniel seems like he'll never be at peace until he knows whether he did it or not. And Avery says, you may never know. And you know what? That that's you can live that way too. Like that's an you know, that's an okay way to live. It's a hell of a thing, isn't it, Tony? Like yeah, I, yeah. have we seen something like this, a character like this, a predicament, a situation like this in shows or film where they, they, that idea of you may never know <laughs> if you killed somebody. But, you know, right. that's kind of where we are, too. We don't know the actions that we take in this world spin out and influence whole communities and yeah. people in ways that we never think about, that we'll never really know. Yeah. And so for this to be so specific, so explicit, I think it's quite wonderful. You know, another thing about this scene, Ryan, is that Daniel also articulates for the first time that I can recall that there's a difference between him and these other ex-cons because they were in the gen pop in the, you know, we know that Pickles worked in the laundry. I mean, they, they were seeing other prisoners. They were having social interactions for the time that they were in prison. Daniel was not, you know, he was on death row. He was in solitary confinement. His only his only uh, interaction as we saw in the earlier seasons was talking to other prisoners through the, the air vents, through the grates. And he wasn't ever able to see them. And he, it, he's now acknowledging to Avery that that's really done a number on him. And it's, it, it's hard after 18 and a half years of having no social interaction with other people to suddenly being, thrown back into society and uh, i mean that's been the story of the whole show right is his 
struggle to adjust to society. And and that's where I wanted to just mention that when he Daniel, you know, has done a lot of reading and is obviously very literate. And he talks about the ego, which, you know, you and I both have studied that and probably a lot of listeners have too, as an aspect of the personality. And he, he talks about the ego, you know, almost imploding in on itself. And if that's all you have is yourself, you're, it's almost like your ego gets so big that it that, that its own gravitational force pulls it back into itself and and it becomes nothing. And, and it's, I think this struggle of not even knowing who he is, particularly in the context of other people, I thought was another just great writing, interesting concept and, and a, a kind of a, another part of Daniel's revelation that he's suddenly able to, to articulate because Avery is such a welcoming presence. Yeah, and I was, you, you talk about this notion of social structure and being in community, and I think one of the things that this whole series has done is highlight the importance of community and the tension between the individual and the community. And it's really on full display here in a couple of ways, the first of which are his fellow halfway house mates who, like you said, existed and they were incarcerated in a different setting. Uh, but Daniel's having very difficult time connecting with them. And then the arts colony community that he stumbles across and Chloe and, and her friends. And it's, I think it's showing how Daniel was kind of, kind of devolved in solitary confinement because mm-hmm. Being in community is absolutely necessary, but there's also uh, we're kind of trained on how to be in community, right, and how to relate to other people. And Daniel really lost that for 19 years of his life, yeah. and 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 he's trying to find that. We see that at the end when he takes a seat at the table, which I thought was a a, a nice touch. But you know, what resources did he have to connect? You know, and. I wonder if that's not part of, of what this fourth season is going to do too, like a, a, a deeper reflection on this notion of community, because there's this scene where in this episode, there's a moment when uh, it, there's this emphasis on getting a job and getting a paycheck. Mm-hmm. And as if that's all that matters. And I think there's something with the scene of, of Daniel visiting the artists that suggests that no, there's more to life than just getting the paycheck. And, and it, and with Avery as well, there's more to this rehabilitation than just simply meeting curfew and checking all the boxes that you should check, uh, for your parole officer, that there's something in relating to his fellow ex cons that will be therapeutic for him, that will Mm -hmm. bring him Mm -hmm. further along. So, and the, and he couldn't ask for better housemates. I mean, they are as brutally honest with him in a non-judgmental, loving way. I thought the the three guys that played those three actors, I thought, oh my gosh, job, incredible, just just the the the, when to speak, when to just give each other a look, when to just look at Daniel without saying anything. I thought it was just supremely well directed and acted and. I really hope some of those guys have bigger roles, you know, in the next few episodes. Yeah. I mean, everything from 
you know, the the kind of side eye that they give him in the in the group meeting when he's, you know, it does his monosyllabic answers to um after they get, you know, kind of bitch slapped by by um Avery and and Avery says, I'm going to my own home tonight and he, he's out. And the three guys come up to Daniel's room and basically confront him. I mean in different ways, but like, did you not <laughs> like, we got, we got to pull our shit together here, man, or he's going to kick us out. Like we need this place. And none of us had connected with Jesse and you were his roommate and he walked out and now we're all on the edge because of it. And of course, just beautifully redemptive card game at the end of the episode. When uh, Daniel and then nod to Daniel's past with his sister and his father. Yeah. And I mean, we know yeah. that season three, I mean, we know that season three ended with a game of gin rummy that was also redemptive and, re- and reckon uh, uh, it, it exhibited reconciliation between two other members of Daniel's family, right? Between Amantha and Teddy. And now here we end the first episode of season four with another card game that, you know, they kind of have to coax him over to the table and we get a little smile out of Daniel when when Pickle's like, oh, you play rummy, you know, you'll pick this game up in no time. These guys want to help him. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I I mean, it was really standing in the doorway. Then he's going to move and just sit on the arm of the chair. And then he goes to the table and a little journey, a little journey in that one scene. Hey, I know we're probably wrapping up here, yeah. but I just want to yeah. highlight. Um, I just want to make note of favorites. Um, if we're keeping these running lists, best line of dialogue this episode, when Daniel tells Chloe that he was in prison and she said, I was in a sorority. <laughs> I don't feel great about that. Yeah. <laughs> that just was perfect, pretty great. Per- what a beautiful yeah. way to like disarm that. Yeah the tension there and it's, and you feel it right. Daniel's and Daniel's just straightforward. Like he's been told to be, and you know, Chloe's not going to be judgmental because she's a hipster artist in Nashville, but what a, what a great way to, to what a great comeback to lighten the mood in that scene. Yeah. She, that, that was great. And there was this back and forth where he walks in and she says, were you appalled? More curious, like a train wreck curious. And Daniel says, if a train wreck is absurd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's just, yeah, her, there's artist, great. her artist friends kind of like, well, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it does cause you to wonder like if it, art is such a great outlet for people who suffer trauma and you just do wonder if we're going to see some of that coming up here and uh, one last thing before we go of course who who do you think the letters from that daniel gets like, tawny um, it's got to be from tawny right tawny. it's tawny yeah 100 <laughs> percent. i mean it would be awesome i love it i'd love it if it were from trey or something but or a letter from beyond the grave from george or something and just that doesn't look it, like trey's no, handwriting let's be honest no, i'm Pretty Trey's sure. <laughs> Listen, we're going. He's in jail. We're going. Yeah. Uh, you know, I hate you see these little summaries, uh, descriptions of episodes on Netflix. It looks like we're going back to Polly next week. So maybe we'll oh. find out what Tawny and Trey and the rest of the crew are up to. <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, the gang. The rest of the gang. Yeah. 
Well, thanks everybody for listening. We hope you're enjoying this as much as we are. If you've got suggestions for what we should tackle, uh, eight weeks from now when we're done with rectify, maybe we'll take, we might take a week off, Ryan, take a nap, take a breather. Yeah. I'll just watch other TV. (laughs) I know you haven't watched any other TV since then, but since we started, I've got, I've got another good recommendation, but we'll save that for later. All right. All right. Well, thanks everybody. This is killer cereals. Yep. Stay safe. Wear your mask. We'll see you next week.